0: Hello, this is Max Gross with uh, Commercial Observer, and I am here for Backstory with uh, our intrepid reporter, Brian Pascus. Brian, how are you? I'm well, Max. How are you doing? I'm excellent. And uh, our intrepid deputy editor, Tom Accatelli. Tom, how are you? Good, thanks. All right. Well, we need to be intrepid because we have a big topic today, which is REBNY, the Real Estate Board of New York, and their annual gala. Um... So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Rebney um, and about a couple of the stories that we worked for it um but it is almost a it's it, it's an important year because this is sort of a return to form at, in at least one sense So back in um, 2020 the Rebney Gala at the Hilton on uh, Avenue of the Americas uh, in January was um, one of the great, Bar mitzvah events of real estate. Everybody showed up in a tux and um, you had the rubber chicken and you sat around the tables and you had, um, and you talked about the business. And it was sort of the last thing we had of the old world of New York real estate. And then two months later, we were all sent home and we never, and we didn't come back. Um, And Rebney itself had a couple of, um, you know, Galas since then Uh, But they Had them in the middle of the Spring, early summer um, And uh, They sort of gave up on the old Hilton Address, so uh, they Moved to, I guess, I think it's called the Glass Houses out on um, Far West Side, and um, In at least one sense It's a a homecoming Uh, This year they are um, Coming back to January um, And I always did like it as a January event. It was one of these things that, you know, you you started out the year, it it, it was almost part of the regular diet. Um, This is what people would be talking about for the year, and this is what this um, arm, lobbying arm of the industry was going to be talking about. And you would see all these, you know, great, you know storied figures of the real estate business people who would never answer my calls like Steve Roth and some of the people who would answer my calls like Bill Rudin and you'd see Larry Silverstein and um, uh, You'd see Bill de Blasio. You'd see uh, Andrew Cuomo um, and uh, It was always an interesting time Um, so Rebney is kicking off yet again uh, in January uh, at glass houses still, so it's not quite back to what it was, um, but um, it's it's good to have it back in uh, in at least some form. Uh, and we always did a big Rebney issue to coincide with it, where we would talk about all the issues and uh, topics that were affecting Rebney. And uh, we did so again this year in 2024. So, uh, Tom, tell us a little bit about some of the stories that we have uh, coming out this week.
1: Well, Max, we, we have quite a bit on policy, state policy and city policy, particularly as it pertains to housing. And Remney, of course, plays a major lobbying role on both levels, city and state, when it comes to housing. And the, the gist of it, basically, as a lot of listeners probably know, Due to policy changes in 2019, a a suite of laws in Albany that was very favorable to tenants and the expiration of the 421A tax abatement in mid-2022, there hasn't been a lot of new housing construction in New York City in particular. So we explore when and if that might change. We also look at uh, rezonings in the city and how uh, the... uh, administration of Mayor Eric Adams might push through several rezonings to encourage development and conversions, especially in the Garment District of Manhattan. And we also look at everybody's favorite uh, January topic, the property tax assessment role and commercial real estate's role in that.
0: Mm. So, um, and, and we also talked a little bit, aside from policy, about politics. Oh yeah. Um we we it is it is 2024, um, and that is an election year. And uh Brian, you wrote a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh thanks, Max. It's uh it is 2024, hard to believe. Uh and, and here we go again, it seems, with um Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. It seems the nation is running it back. And we, uh, we profiled a, a very interesting election. It's going to be the first election since 1892 uh, when a former president is going up against an incumbent president. Uh, back then it was Grover Cleveland up against Benjamin Harrison. Here we have Trump Biden. Uh, And we examined this unique election through the lens of commercial real estate interest. Um, You know, and and of course, there's a wrinkle of Trump coming out of New York City commercial real estate where he began his career uh, for many decades before politics. And we spoke to commercial real estate executives. We spoke to political strategists. We spoke to economists. We spoke to, um, you know leaders of trade organizations, whether it's real estate or business, uh, all to kind of gauge them uh, on, on you know, uh, where the industry stands in relation to the election and how will the election uh, impact commercial real estate, especially at a time where the economy is so fragile. We've had high interest rates, high inflation. Um, obviously, those are subsiding now, finally. But there is uh, any sort of disruption or uncertainty could hamper commercial real estate's recovery. So we uh, we looked at all those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Now um, there are some that I know in uh, real estate who will say, eh, "National elections don't mean anything for uh, New York real estate." Um, was that in any way your finding in uh, your reporting?
2: No. I, I In fact, it was the opposite in that this election could have a major impact not just on New York City real estate where it's the center of the country um, but also national real estate. And I think that comes down to policy um, in terms of – and especially some specific policies that are uh, underway or are expiring. So the first thing is the Trump tax cuts. So the Trump tax cut, a big part of that is the state and local tax – Uh, cap on state and local tax deductions. That's called the SALT cap. Uh, That uh, was part of the Trump tax bill in 2017. And that basically put a cap on how much high earners can deduct Um, from their federal tax bill of state and local taxes. So uh, it sounds a little complex on the surface, but view it in this way. If if someone is making a million dollars in Los Angeles and and they pay a hundred thousand dollars to Sacramento in their state and local taxes, they can deduct that off their $900,000 federal tax bill. Um, But, you know if that's capped at 10,000 now the federal government can tax you to 990,000 rather than 900,000 um you know because that was a $10,000 deduction cap that Trump's tax cuts put on it so um you know it's 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 hurt blue states it's made them less competitive than other states uh it, it really applies to these high tax high earner states like California Illinois New York and for years democrats in uh, On Capitol Hill has have been trying to replace it. They've been trying to get it removed. There was a big battle among Democrats when Joe Biden was attempting to pass, um, his, um, you know, when he got his infrastructure bill passed, and then he tried to pass Build Back Better, uh, salt was a major factor in in kind of slowing down that process and dividing Democrats. Um, so, you know, uh, that's coming up. Uh, the Republicans and President Trump at the time they put this the cap on state and local tax deductions in there to claw back revenue that they otherwise would have lost and and have uh, uh they've. They lost a lot by granting such a a generous corporate and income tax break. So by forcing high-income state and local tax states like Illinois and California to pay more um, because they put a cap on it, they got to claw back some revenue. So it's a very technical piece of legislation, but it's very important uh, for uh, real estate, uh, high earners, and uh, states uh, like New York and California. So there's that. Um, But then there's also the fact that President Biden has passed an infrastructure bill, about a trillion dollars, and that has um, given major um, federal subsidies to transportation and transit projects all around the country. And commercial real estate is intimately involved in some of these transportation projects because they you know, involve building new subway lines with uh, development around them. Um, new bridges, um, all sorts of huge, you know, high-speed rail, uh, all sorts of things that involve the industry are coming out of this big one-trillion-dollar infrastructure project. So uh, that that's part of it, um, and just the general sense of you know this is a, a very consequential election, and there is a lot of uh, uncertainty around our future of a, as a country. Uh, you know, Democrats. Fear that, you know, a new Trump administration will will roll back a lot of uh, democratic norms and namely the acceptance of election results. Uh, Lowercase d. Yeah. And... um, Republicans fear that their candidate for president is being unfairly maligned by the criminal justice system and could be in, face pr- prison charges. So it's very interesting in that, you know, you talk to a lot of people and there's fear on both sides. And fear and uncertainty is not good for business. It's not good for commercial real estate. So uh, there's a lot hanging on, on this and, and who the choice is. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I, I think the industry will uh, endure and survive. There's obviously too much money at stake. But um, it's it's a, it's there's a sense of, uh, you know, watchful waiting, so to speak, with the 2024 election. Uh, there's just it's it's a little early. It is only January. And a lot of the candidates proposals that concern the industry haven't been fully flushed out.
1: Max, I also want to bring up we're talking only a couple of days after Governor Kathy Hochul gave her state of the state address in Albany. And it's I see it's another act in the ongoing play of trying to come up with new housing policy for New York state and city. And basically the governor ceded the platform to a a legislature that leans quite left. And so therefore might not line up with the the commercial real estate industry's priorities Um, about a year ago. Hochul tried to take the lead. She had many different proposals for building up to 800,000 housing units in, in the state, particularly in the, this, the metropolitan area of New York. And that collapsed last June. There was just inaction on it and legislative opposition. So now she has come back about 10 months later and it basically has ceded the policy to the legislature, which has not come up with anything really. So I think you know for the for the immediate for for the immediate future for this year you know even before the federal elections, um, what's going on in Albany or what's not going on, will have a major impact on what gets built and what doesn't in the city.
0: Mm-hmm. Has there is there any sense of optimism that that there will be a 421A replacement that that this will actually happen? No, I. I would sincerely doubt
1: it based on what's happening in Albany now and governor Hochul actually in her address and in a a proposal that her staff put out the same day basically said the city should try to come up with its own development incentive along the lines of the old 421a which you know uh, gave an abatement depending on how much affordable housing was in a particular development Uh, it's unclear if the city even has the resources to do that or can do that Um, so it'll be interesting to see and I you know one one election follows the other. So this these become very hot topics to touch for politicians.
0: So well and this does kind of dovetail a little bit with the, the, the question of the federal election. Obviously the Biden administration has put a, a tremendous amount of money towards infrastructure spending as we've mentioned already. But um is there any push to do anything regarding housing? Can the federal government do
2: any like uh, housing construction? They, the, the, the federal government had a, a lot of uh, affordable housing subsidies put into its Build Back Better bill. That was about $3.5 trillion, I think, when it was delivered to the Congress. They were not able to agree on it. It was a very complex piece of legislation. Uh, but there was going to be a lot of federal money devoted toward refurbishing um, you know, federal housing. F- um, NYCHA buildings in New York would have uh, gotten, uh, I think, close to $40 billion uh, for repairs. Uh, and you would have had all sorts of uh, tax subsidies and tax uh, abatements within that huge pot of money that would have tried to spur uh, the development of more affordable housing within Build Back Better. Now, instead of doing it all in one bill, it appears the administration is trying to break these things up one by one. So, for instance, one piece of legislation that uh, many people think is likely to pass this year, despite a lot of inaction, is – a workforce housing tax credit and that will develop workforce housing which is affordable housing near work sites where people work across the country uh this would give uh private sector developers uh tax credits federal tax credits to to give them an incentive to build this type of specific affordable housing for americans uh that is something that's a bipartisan legislation both the senate and the house biden's behind it i think they're working out the kinks right now Uh, obviously what holds precedence over any smaller bill is a larger uh, grand bargain bill on immigration. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that's also tied to the the commercial real estate interest too. Yep. Mm. And
1: it's also, I would say that the, uh, the immigration crisis in New York is something that revenue focused on Mm -hmm. and the industry is focused on. And it's not entirely clear if there's a path out of it, as as Brian said, you know, without the federal government stepping in in a major way.
2: Absolutely. It is something that, that came up in, in all my talks with with these commercial real estate professionals across the country is the immigration crisis is reaching a boiling point and And they really do believe uh, President Biden and the Democrats have to come to some agreement with Republicans that uh, might not necessarily seem, you know, to toe the party line, but that but but creates some sort of stop or or t- uh, creates a, uh, you know, a, takes away the incentive for uh, migration and illegal immigration that has uh, really flooded the country uh, over the last few years. I think the New York times had a uh, statistic the other day that showed it was more than 2 million illegal immigrants each of the last three years. And um, we're seeing it here in New York, there's more than 150,000 migrants uh, in city homeless shelters. Uh, And that's just an incredible number. When you realize that prior to the migrant crisis, there were 67,000 homeless New Yorkers in the shelter, and that was at capacity. So mm-hmm. there's still 67,000 homeless New Yorkers, but now you've added 150,000 migrants. It's a um, it's something that that Mayor Eric Adams is saying, I can't do this without the federal government's help. You're hearing it from the mayors in Chicago. Uh, you're hearing it from uh, mayors in Boston. Massachusetts has had its, its issues with um, increased migration from outside the country. And commercial real estate executives are saying, This is impacting our bottom line because you have more people coming in. They don't have the city services to help them, to give them shelter, to give them aid, to give them jobs. And and they're, you know, in front of retail stores, they're in front of office buildings, they're in front of, you know, multifamily apartment buildings, you know, just trying to survive, uh, especially in in horrible conditions like winters here in the north. So uh, this is something that commercial real estate executives hope the federal government does. Comes to an agreement to do something about, to improve, to mitigate, and ultimately to tend to, uh, because th- these are human beings uh, who need help uh, and, and need shelter. So uh, it's it's very very complex, um, and again, no easy answers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so
0: this all leads to the the big question, or or the most. Not it's not the big question, I should say, but it's the most relevant question for what we're talking about today. What is there anything that Rebney can be doing about this effectively? Like what, aside from calling the congressmen and you know, doing their whole shtick, um what what could they do? That is a very good
1: question. I mean they they have a lobbying arm, and that's a big part of who they are and what they do, but honestly. The I, I see the whole period in New York City right now as one of readjustment coming out of COVID. So I, I think Remney is one player among many in adjust of setting the city on its current economic and social trajectory. So I don't know. That's that's a very good question. What, what more can they be doing? Maybe we should ask. But I, I, at this point, the, the issues are so large and the environment around them so large that I, I don't know. I mean, they're, just, they're one of many players.
0: Hmm. Well, I think it's a good question to ask at the Rebney Gala at the Glass Houses on Thursday, um, where I'll be there. I I imagine a couple of the other commercial observer reporters will be there. Um, I will. I'm sure that we will ask some of those questions. I'll be there. You'll be there. Brian will be there. Um, Tom, you won't be coming down from Boston for it, I assume. No, no. Okay. (laughs) Um, on that note, um, I think that that's all the time we have. But um, any last thoughts about um Rebney, uh, before we go um or or any of the topics that we've
2: talked about? Um, Brian? Well, I think one thing that stood out um is what what makes the election interesting from a commercial real estate perspective is you have um commercial real estate professionals and executives who, do recognize in Trump you know someone who came out of their uh their environment who he's the first member of the private sector to become president not a uh political leader or a general uh in our nearly 250 years so there there's there's a wary sense of I think respect uh toward that accomplishment but also concern because the man is so unpredictable and chaotic and to that end we have heard from from folks uh, uh one one of my sources told me, that she, know, she believes um, that if Trump were to be elected again, it would generate an incredible amount of resistance and instability in major American cities, Chicago, L.A., New York. And she called New York the hotbed of a resistance movement against Trump in terms of protests. And she said that would be terrible for New York property values, for New York real estate, for office, for central business district recovery. Um Because when you have political instability and protests, as we saw in the 1960s, uh, it could get really out of hand uh, and and very damaging to the country's fabric. So uh, that's something to to consider over the next 10 months before we vote.
0: Tom?
1: I was going to say, on a lighter note, uh, Jed Walentis is the new Rebney chair. And I (laughs) am pretty sure he comes from Brooklyn. I can't remember the last non-Manhattan-based Rebney chair.
0: Ah, and I,
1: I invite the listeners listeners to contact me directly and correct me if I'm wrong. So,
0: <laughs> um, yes, he is, and um, uh, I mean, I, I can think of few people who have had a uh, bigger impact on Brooklyn real estate uh, than uh, his father uh, David and his mother Jane and uh, Jed Valentis. Um, well, lots to talk about, lots to think about. Um, read Commercial Observer's revenue coverage um, and the post coverage, which I'm sure we'll be doing soon. Uh, I'm Max Gross uh, for Commercial Observer. Uh, Brian, Tom, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, thanks. Max.